Thank you, Josh, and thank you, Prescaneo. What an amazing experience that we have had to witness this intercultural, multicultural, cross-cultural worship experience. Several years ago, as a single guy, Bible college music teacher, I wanted to go on a summer campaign. And uh, I was very lonely. I didn't know people at this OM conference, a little depressed. And I bumped into an upbeat pastor and his son. And I don't know how it happened, but Pastor Earl Stevens just yanked me out of my doldrums and my, and my depression. And it's been a joy to realize the, the legacy of uh, one of your former pastors and his love for the scriptures and how he memorized the word so effectively. I also bumped into Tom Frazier during those early years. Tom and I went to uh, the mission ships of OM together. We made some of our very first recordings together. And I'm astonished that decades later, I won't tell how many decades, but decades later, Tom is still writing and recording songs. It's just, just incredible, wonderful. And he was a wonderful host at a at a gourmet Mexican meal last night. I'm still feeling it uh, from that night. And also to bump into some of uh, Tom's brothers. Wonderful time. Several years ago, Ron and I teamed up at a global worship and missions event. It was attended by worship leaders, artists, teachers, various Christian leaders. Ron was one of the featured speakers. I emceed the event. Ron quoted a Scottish theologian who reflected on the prayer of Jesus in John 17, that we would be united with Jesus, as Jesus was with the Father. And the Scottish theologian turned that amazing, dynamic scripture into a, into a worship statement. And he said, worship is our privilege through the Holy Spirit of participating in the preoccupation of the Father with the Son. It was a moment of wonder that one quote figuratively shifted us into the heavens where we were joining in with that eternal realm where the Trinity is in motion, and we had the joy of singing about it just, just a few seconds ago, but it was the celebration 
of the Father and the Son. And I was simply overwhelmed. Ron finished his teaching and it was my turn to get up and to give the trivial announcements. I went to the mic. I couldn't find my voice. And it was not due to this problem. I was so mesmerized trying to grasp this invitation of the Spirit of God inviting me to the throne to join in the worship of eternity that is centered on the Father and the Son activated through the Holy Spirit. I had never encountered a John 17 moment like that. Of course, a few seconds later, I found my voice and uh, got through those trivial announcements. When I encountered 2 Corinthians 3.18, it was another overwhelming moment. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is one of those verses that my, one of my worship colleagues labeled as the explosion of wonder. 2 Corinthians 3.18 may be one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. Paul is theologically reflecting on Moses who was aglow, transformed while in that tent in the very presence, face to face with God himself. The New American Standard Version captures this wonder uniquely. And it needs to be stated as you see it in phrases. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And guys, if you could rewind, I'd like us to say it together. This amazing verse. Follow me, let's do it together. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Try to grasp. Try to grasp it the Spirit inspiring Paul to capture this worship and wonder moment, enabling transformation, transformation of our beings 
by beholding glory, using a simple metaphor of a mirror. It's a divine mirror that reflects not our image back onto that, Im- that screen, but the image of the one we are contemplating, the one that we are encountering. It's mystery and it's wonder. Changed through meditative contemplation of our Lord. Let's add to that the cosmic global doxology of glory and wonder from Ephesians 3 that encompasses all the redeemed reflected also in our theme verse. Now the Passion Version of Ephesians 3 states it this way. Now we offer up to God all the glorious praise that arises from every church in every generation through Jesus Christ and all that will yet be manifested through time and eternity. Amen. Praise from every church in every generation. Fitting words for a missions conference anywhere and especially for our conference here this weekend at First Event. And we add to that our joy of remembering what just happened over the last few days with that divine inspired visitation of the Spirit of God at Asbury University. And as they contemplated through worship who the Lord is, it just began to spread through our nation and throughout the world. Now on Friday, we surveyed several Psalms that showed worship emerging in the context of difficulties. Let me review briefly for those that were not here on Friday. Let's look at an event that comes to us from Romania during the dark days of communism and how God used a psalm in those circumstances. Richard and Sabina Wormbrand suffered greatly in the Romanian prisons. And eventually, when they were released, started the mission called um, Voice of the Martyrs. Sabina wrote about a persecuted and beaten up woman. And she exclaimed to Sabina, how can we stand this? We are in hell. A young Christian girl exclaimed, we can handle this with a psalm. She continued, do you know about Psalm 107? It states, oh, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And do you know how it continues? 
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Sabina Wormbrand then concluded, so there in that prison cell, we decided early every morning when we opened our eyes and as we prepared to do the grueling work as prisoners, that we would greet each other with the words, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. The hell of a ruthless prison was changed completely by repeating a psalm, giving thanks to the Lord in the most difficult of circumstances. God gave us this amazing songbook, the book of Psalms, to face life in all of its trauma. Here's another example. In 1839, a coal mine collapsed. 13 miners were trapped, realizing they would probably never be found, never would be dug out. And they knew how to respond in that moment. They had all memorized various songs that were metered, rhymed, metrical versions of the Psalms that were part of the Scottish society during those years. And they began to sing Psalm 20. The words went along the lines of, Lord, in times of trouble, may you respond to our cry. And they started singing it over and over. Eventually, they heard the hammers knocking, and one by one, they started to be rescued. And they had no idea, is this, is this coal mine going to, going to hold up? And one by one, they kept singing to the last person, and they were all rescued, singing a song. Now, as we come to Psalm 96, and we look briefly into it, we discover that it is both praise and prayer. As a psalm of prayer, it's very typical of how prayer happens. One commentator wrote, like prayer, there is no logical structure in a praying-type psalm. The psalm moves from topic to topic, from petition to adoration, to thanksgiving, to remembering God's attributes, and all with a sense of urgency. Spurgeon adds that just as Psalm 90 could be uh, labeled as the psalm of Moses, so Psalm 86 could be labeled as the psalm of David. So David blurts out, as we discovered in our Friday use of the Psalms, he blurts out his troubled situation. Hear me, Lord. This is verses 1 to 4. Answer me. Have mercy. Listen to my cry. I'm in trouble. Answer me. And then something happens. 
Again, the psalmist pivots. There's a shift to another key. Despair drains. Hope rushes in. And the next verse that we sang so beautifully. There is none like you, Lord. And this leads to one of the Bible's great statements of global praise, which is our theme text. Verse 9, all nations whom you have made shall come and worship and shall glorify your name. David is moving beyond the Israeli turf and zooms out on the big picture of the whole earth giving praise to the Creator. Psalm 47 echoes this great theme with the words, Great is the King of all the earth. Praise Him with a psalm. Let's do that together. I was going to have us sing this. We have to declare it. So declare after me. All nations you have made shall come and worship. Together, all nations you have made shall come and worship. From North Korea, they'll come and worship. Say it. From North Korea, they'll come and worship. From Saudi Arabia, they'll come and worship. Say it. From Saudi Arabia, they'll come and worship. Now, this song, 86, celebrates global worship as an affirmation what God will accomplish. So, Dr. Mann published his thoughts about Psalm 86 this way. In Psalm 86, 9, we read that the nations will glorify God as their creator. Not only is this an expectation, but also a clear prediction that this will happen. And for sure, worship is happening in the nations in unprecedented ways. Well, let's just consider Saudi Arabia. A few decades ago, there was just a, a handful in the old nation. Today, there's over a thousand Saudi Arabians. There's even a house of prayer where prayer is rising up hour after hour right at the very center of hardcore Islam. Or take the ministry of the Jesus film, the ministry of Crew, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ. The film is in over 2,000 translations and is being used by 1,800 ministry partners that are using that film to do evangelism and church planting. And uh, Crew mentions that on average, several house churches are planted every single day. It's marvelous. If ever there was a Book of Acts movement, it's the Jesus film. One of the fundraisers is a friend of mine, and uh, he was telling me once that there are reports that are that they just can't even put into print because it would look too sensational. And they talked about how people watching the film saw Jesus raise people from the dead. 
and in simple childlike faith. People would leave the, uh, the film area, they would go back to their village and would pray a simple prayer. Lord, what you did on that film, please do it. My uncle just died last night. And they would watch people rise from the dead. I read about a Jesus film that was in a part of Africa where it was torn up by war. Bridges were blown up and one of these bridges they had to repair with rope. And back in the earlier days of the Jesus film where there was a lot more equipment. Uh, by the way, there's a, a neighbor ministry to Proskuneo that is figuring out how to get the Jesus film down to a backpack versus, you know, half a truckload. And so they arrived at this bridge and they saw the rope and started wondering, how are we going to get our heavy truck across that? And so the team left the truck, went across on the other side, and remembering Second Chronicles 20, where the singers preceded the army, they began to sing as that army sang in Second, or, or, those, or that choir sang in Second Chronicles before the army went out. They watched something unprecedented. They watched that truck literally lift and float across that bridge. If my dad were here, he was a fiery Italian preacher, he would say, can I get an amen? amen. He would hold his hands out like that. So, all nations you have made shall come and worship. Now, we've read one more psalm on Friday, and I want to go back to it because we have some wonderful resources that relate to that, to that psalm. And it's Psalm 96, and it's so similar to Psalm 86. But it begins with this affirmation. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. And like Psalm 86, Psalm 96 is summoning the whole earth to declare God's glory along with that song. So it's not only sing it, but share it. And on that back table, wherever, where's our back? Back this way, uh, on the table is, is a marvelous resource. It's a wristband with four pictures that summarize the whole gospel in four pictures. And there's a comic leaflet that accompanies uh, that wristband. And it's a conversation of two people discussing the wristband. And it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It's one of the uh, most thrilling friendship evangelism tools that... Uh, uh, that I've come across. A friend of mine put those tools into, into action. He's a good friend of my traveling companion who's with me, uh, Stephen Andrews. Stephen is one of those IT specialists from India. And, um, and it's a real joy for us to work with our colleague, uh, Richard Sharp, who, um, who created those.
Now, John Piper picks up on this declare God's glory and sing in a beautiful statement. Here's what he said. Around the world, there is a new song and a new vibrancy and a new personal engagement of singing to the Lord. And the really astonishing thing in our time is the way we are being awakened to sing to the Lord with new songs. As such, there is a strong global missionary flavor to that singing. To my knowledge, singing has never been more at the forefront of missions as it is today. And then Piper continues, sing with all your heart to the Lord and be a part of summoning the nations to join you. So we could also add to uh, that Piper statement that moment in Exodus where the waters were divided and Miriam picked up her tambourine. She adds dance and declares this worship and glory combo. Now here's how we can paraphrase it and we're gonna do it together. Uh, We're gonna pick up some rhythm and so just follow what I'm doing. We're gonna go left and then right. So, here we go. I don't see it back there. We want everyone. Now, repeat, sing, dance. He's triumphed with glory. Do it. Sing, dance. He's triumphed with, again, sing, dance. He's triumphant. Horses and riders have drowned in the sea. Horses and riders have drowned in the sea. One more time. Horses and riders have drowned in the sea. Hallelujah. I was going to get you all up and dancing that, but I ran out of time. So throughout church history, song has been the means of expressing devotion from redeemed peoples. All in fulfillment of that wonderful book of Psalms and also in fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave, I will build my church. So we find throughout history some amazing things chiseled into the catacombs are Romans worshiping, holding instruments. The monks in the early Christian centuries sang through the entire book of the Psalms. It is still being done today. And to help them remember the Psalms, they invented a crude way of remembrance through creating notation. And so the fact that there's music notation today goes back to monks who needed to remember this songbook, the book of Psalms. Now, regrettably, in my own experience, as a Western musician, I was not prepared well for a Psalms 86 cross-cultural 
experience like my proscaneo colleagues. And I looked down on non-Western music. I saw my Western harmony as much more musical and more sophisticated. And God knew I needed to change. I ended up at an event in South Africa. I had the joy of sharing this yesterday with, the, with some that were gathered here. And um, I gave a little report after a, a global congress on the growth of uh, worship. And in our little circle of 30 Christian leaders, the head of Wycliffe stood up. It was not his turn. He stood up and he said, what Fortunato has talked about, we just need to go a bit deeper. And I want to share about it, what's happening in Wycliffe. And you, you heard a statement about that earlier. But here's what he said. Where the translators got the new believers to sing the newly translated scriptures in their own heart music instruments, churches grew rapidly. He then went to sentence number two. Where that did not, where that did not happen, churches grew slowly. And he sat down. And as he sat down, I had an open heaven, dramatic, consequential, life-changing, DNA-altering moment with a two-sentence shock out of heaven. I sensed the Lord saying to me, did you grasp what you just heard? Heaven is calling you, Frank to join a generation of Western musicians to expand beyond your limited world of Western music, the Lord of the Nations is calling forth a global movement of ethnic indigenous worship. Join up. I then sensed the Lord saying to me, that's why you're on the planet. It was a sacred moment for me. Some of those stories that I collected of other people going through that are collected in a book called All the World is Singing. Get a copy, it's on sale today. But I had no idea how to get involved in this more non-Western aspect of worship until I met a Swedish gal by the name of Emma. I'm married to a Swede, and I invited Emma to our home for strong coffee and watched two ladies gab away in, in Swedish. And by the way, if you want to hear some gabbing, you ought to hear my, uh, my uh, travel companion talk to his parents every morning with WhatsApp in this Malayalam language. It's, it, it, it's amazing. Um, maybe you can meet him and let him share a little Malayalam with you. You'll, you'll love to hear it. So anyway, um, I met Emma, and then she told me that she had helped to birth songs in Tunisian Arabic that had never been done before. They didn't have any Tunisian Arabic worship songs yet in the nation. And I said, Emma, we have to go record some of those. And she said, oh, no, it's way too dangerous. Don't come. And I kept hounding her, and, and eventually said, okay, We'll try to make it happen, be very careful. And so a team of four of us went down to Tunis to record the very first Tunisian Arabic worship songs. We set up a temporary recording studio 
and uh, made it happen. What a privilege to be part of helping Tunisians release their first worship songs. Now, please come back tonight because there is a five-minute video, if we could figure out how to do it, to show tonight in that meeting. And joining me will be the co-founder of uh, Heart Sounds International, the ministry that I helped to found in OM, Ken Davidson. Years later, I had the privilege of connecting with Yemen and her, I mean with uh, Emma in Yemen, with her husband, one of our major leaders in OM, and we were doing the very same thing. Yemen had never had a worship recording in Yemeni Arabic. And uh, unfortunately, in that land, there was such a strong anti-Christian attitude. And in fact, the new believers were still growing in the Lord and were not even wanting to let a woman touch their oud, their lute instrument. And we had to put up with an out-of-tune oud until Emma was able to use her lovely Arabic to convince the musicians, I can tune it and we can save our, our engineer a lot of engineering uh, time. And so, at one point, we were going to record a song, and Emma's husband said, oh, you're about to record something that's really foggy theologically. And he took the time that night to revise the Arabic. He was fluent to revise the Arabic, keeping the rhyme, keeping the rhythm. And he said, this is the first recording of Christian songs in Yemeni dialect, and it's going to help shape the theology of the Yemeni church. You've got to get your theology right. It was a great lesson. Now, I want to close with a visionary statement that I heard decades ago. Maybe you've heard it already in this church, but it bears repeating. Oh, I hope to track down the the guy or the gal that wrote this. It's an exhilarating portrait. It's a snapshot of our theme verse. Here's what it says. It is a picture that defies our dreams, a world beyond imagination. Those around the throne are so many, they cannot be counted. Among the sea of souls are African drummers, Chinese string players, Arab singers, Spanish guitarists, Irish and Kazakh dancers, all tribes represented, all nations accounted for. They gather around a throne that is beyond comprehension. They gather by the billions to endlessly praise the Mighty One. To tell their stories would take more than a trillion days. We have a clear vision. We hear the distant drums, the great horns, the triumphant fanfare. We see the stamping feet, the waving arms, the upraised hands. We smell the scent of the altar incense, the awesome fragrance of the throne. We see that choir of billions in its many colors, the Africans, the Asians, the Europeans, the Latins, the Americans. We can almost touch it 
a soon-to-be worship service of a kingdom without end, stretching throughout all space and time, filling every square inch of the universe with the sound of praise, bringing all that we can see and know under the dominion of the king. That is who we are. That is what we are about. Let's take a, a Selah moment and try to imagine a little bit of what we just heard. This visionary statement closes with a challenge. It's a rather biting challenge. We are willing to sear the soles of our feet in the burning sands of the Middle East. We are willing to sell ourselves into backbreaking labor among prisoners. We are willing to expose our skin among the diseased. We are willing to freeze our toes and fingers in the heights of the Tibetan mountains. We are willing to feel the words of derision, the sting of stones, the heat of flames the piercing pain of the nail. We are willing to spill our blood as martyrs on the dry and dusty soil of the forgotten lands. If only we can tell. And I'll add and sing the story. The Lord is calling some of you in this wonderful gathering to consider joining that army willing to invest your life in those places where Christ needs to be known. On Friday night, we shared a closing benediction, something of a commissioning, and I'd like us to close with this again. It's in three parts. The first part says, there's nothing I can do without you. This is my dependence. Recite with me. There is nothing I cannot do through you. This is my Number two, together. There is nothing I will not do for you. This is my obedience. And then finally, 
There is nothing I will not do for you. This is my obedience. Lord, move among us. Send us to be part of that marvelous army. Not only singing about it, but also sharing about it. The great name of Jesus for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.